Welcome to Bad Patient. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Laura Marker. And we are two non-medical, non-experts taking an unreasonably deep dive into this week's health news. And this week's words are smell, radiation, inhalers, and Dr. Google. Are those the words? <laughs> yes. I thought the words... Robin, I sent you... Oh, no. Robin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, no, I got it. I got it. Okay. I was looking at the other one. Dear listeners... We were going to record two episodes today, but we're way too cranky, so we're just doing one, and we're doing it rapid fire, because we want to limit your exposure to your toxicos. <laughs> I'm not toxic. I just learned, I was just reading a book on uh, primal leadership, and emotions are contagious. So oh. that's, that was my takeaway from chapter one. You're welcome. Can we all? Now you are also becoming yeah. a doctor, too. Great. <laughs> No, I know. I am trying to go to grad school vicariously through you. That's that's a true thing. I also want to say that I'm really tired of this like cave person trend where we think we need like to eat a paleo diet and we need like like what is pri- you know what primal leadership was? Do what you want, like do what I want or I will kill you or I will harm you, right? So like is that what I should be doing at work? Like I should just if someone doesn't do what I want, I just punch them in the face or just yell I just yell in order to intimidate. Like, that would be primal leadership. Like, what are they talking about? (sighs) Primal leadership is emotional intelligence, and it's connecting back to that deep connection that we used to have when we were tribal people, and you had a direct connection with your leader. I mean... That is what it appears from book chapter one. But, like... I don't don't know. I'll let you know. I'll let you know if it recommends punching anyone. Okay. (laughs) Just, you know what I mean? Like, based on, like, the, the, the way that this is named, like, primal means primitive. So when people are like, primal leadership means emotional intelligence. No! By definition of the word primal, it absolutely fucking doesn't. Okay. Okay. Well, the people who wrote the book would disagree with you. Are you ready for this week's first episode? Story. Uh, Article. (laughs) Great. Go for it. So it comes from Earth. Earth? Comes from Earth.com. And it's poor sense of smell linked to higher risk of death in in older adults. So your sense of smell has been uh, linked to uh, increased death. Although the reason for it is unknown of for why, but it was a study that was published in the Annals of, of Internal Medicine, and the results show that older adults who have a poor sense of smell are have a nearly 50% increased risk of dying within 10 years. So if you lose your sense of smell, apparently it's connected to some other things. So it's looking at 2,300 participants between 71 and 82, and found uh, followed the participants for 13 years, and were... And the assessment included a smell test of 12 odors. I wonder Those what they were. With a, actually, it doesn't say uh, in this article. Uh, the poor sense of smell correlated to a 46% higher risk of death in uh, 10 years and 30% in thir- at 13. Um, they accounted for sex, race, lifestyle, um, but the link still remained. So Interesting. The participants were in good health at the start of the study, um, so that's another thing. So what it's recommending is that smell tests be included in your annual visit when you go visit the doctor. So Even though we have no idea why. This makes me very concerned. Yeah, Yeah. this makes me very concerned for my grandfather, who is 89, um, but he's never had a sense of smell. <laughs> well, but it does have like, a sense of humor, though. I think I think the <laughs> indicator here is, is well, I would guess that it's it's more related to losing your sense of smell because they said in the piece that it's 
possibly linked to like dementia and Parkinson's and stuff. Although interestingly, they said that the, that that's not enough to explain it. Also, I clicked through to the study and they retained 99% of their enrollees over, what was it, a 13-year period? No. Yeah, that's super duper impressive. And the whole thing <laughs> went for 17 years, meaning that they were beating down the doors of the elderly, basically, to get this done. I think that's actually more, like, the study itself, like, huh, there's nothing we can say about this, because, like, they found a they found a correlation that they have no explanation for, so, like, that's interesting. But what I want to know is, what exactly were the methods that they used? 99%? Uh, I mean, that is some impressive. aggressive maybe, follow Maybe all these people were trapped. <laughs> Yeah, they're like, hey, 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 hey. I mean, hey, did they just hey, a- assign hey. them like a graduate student? And they're like, this person's going to live with you for the next 17 years. This is this is your new grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> this is your life now. This is, this is, it's important. Spell this thing. So yeah. What the hell? All right. You ready for our, our yeah. next article? It comes from Daily Mail, and it's a single shot of radiation could save prostate cancer patients misery of weeks of treatment, study finds. So those who have prostate cancer um, typically have to go through a bunch of low um, radiation therapy for, like, weeks on end for every day for, like, a month and a half. And that's, like, super uh, intrusive in to your life, and it also can be um, just, like um, – not fun. Hard to do. So, right. Decidedly not not fun. Um, so, this new therapy fires a higher dose of, ra- va- of radiation via tiny, thin tubes directly into the prostate for a few minutes and destroys the cancer cell. And that can um, lead to a same kind of results uh, even after a few years. And this is for men who have a low risk of... Uh, I think they have a, a less aggressive cancer is what the article says. Right. So... Low risk cancer. Sweet. And um, they tracked 441 men. What I'm wondering is like, mm-hmm. what would happen if they did nothing? I mean, they, that must be part of the study. If they did not give the men radiation, if, they, if they, they would get prostate cancer and it would get worse. Maybe, but maybe not. Because they have, they have low, like their cancer is not very aggressive. So they must, they must have looked at this and figured out that it's better than doing nothing. Right. But like, it's interesting. Also, the Daily Mail sure. is like a tabloid, so I'm surprised that they were able to like come up with this. Uh, okay, conference in Milan. I love all health news that has to do with people being in better health as a result of less medical care. I feel like that's yeah, like absolutely. it's not the way that things are going, but it's like a way that things could be going based on like a lot of recent research. Like they're saying, like, do you really need a physical? Do you really need a lot of these screening tests? And I'm not like trying to dissuade anyone from going to get a test, like by all means, talk to your doctor. But like, you know, a lot of the NSPSTF guidelines, which I can't remember what that acronym stands for anymore. It's the US, it's like uh, prevention, blah, blah, blah. Wow, this really is not a great day. <laughs> but like a lot of their stuff has been around that too of saying that like we like they reduced the um pap smear frequencies have been going down and down and down and um they've been I think they like raised the age on mammograms at a certain point. So like there's all this stuff that's kind of happening where we're realizing that like just cuz we came out with a test that we can screen people every 10 minutes like doesn't mean that we should. So there you go. I I really Absolutely. do object to this source Um, because I would like to just point out in my own defense for hating the source like the next story so they have this like very legitimate story right like great job 
That's a legitimate newsworthy thing. The next story is parents share horrifying injuries of their nonverbal daughter, 10, after she was bitten by another special needs. It does not say child, just special needs. Another special needs on the school bus and came home quite, quote, signing ouchie. It is seriously like that's a story. That's one of their stories. And it's a story from Wisconsin. And they're based in the UK. Like, do you know how much they had to dig to get this, like, quote, story? No. How much did they have to dig? (laughs) You know, there is such a a thing as a rhetorical question, (laughs) Miss Marker. All right. Uh, I don't know what you're talking about, Miss Donovan. Uh, (laughs) I just thought you would. You love the Daily Mail. So I do. Since we're on a UK UK, uh, run. Uh, you're ready for our next article. <laughs> I am. So it comes from The Sun, also a UK uh, location. Uh, and it's most kids ha- with asthma have no idea how to use their inhalers, doctors warn. So there are a lot of, uh, there's a new study that was published in the American uh, College of Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology found that uh, African-American children and their parents are overly confident in their ha- inhaler usage. The scientists looked at 65 pairs of parents and children in four Chicago schools. The kids ranged between 8 and 14, and 97% of the children were using their inhalers wrong. And 5% of those kids were confident that they uh, they were their ha- in their inhaler technique used the inhaler properly. So just because you think you can doesn't mean you are. So it's kind of pushing for more, uh, instead of just asking the question, like, do you know how to use your inhaler, having the child bring their inhaler to the doctor's appointment and demonstrating to the doctor that they know how to use it. Um, so because kids can't use their inhaler quickly, uh, correctly when they need it, they, it could be possible that they there could be more injury because of that. Okay, this is insane so. because I was actually in this situation last year – I got an inhaler for the first time after a long bout of bronchitis or several rounds of it or God knows, but after a bunch of illnesses, I needed it. And I was getting not a lot of effect from it, but a lot of side effects. And I went and did a treadmill test and there was a pulmonology fellow there and I was describing my situation and he mentioned using a spacer, which is the second half of this article is talking about more than half of the kids who aren't using it right because they're not using this thing. And a spacer is like a little plastic tube where you can put your mouth on one end and you put the inhaler in the other end. And it basically it allows you to more slowly inhale the medication. So like if you just like stick the inhaler in your mouth and spray, which is I've never seen anyone do it with the spacer. I've only seen people do it. They just stick the inhaler in their mouth. It basically hits you in the back of the throat. And so not as much of the stuff is like getting into your airways. So if you inhale it, you Mm -hmm. squirt it into this tube basically. And then you inhale to count to 10, inhale really slowly. And then you hold your breath for 10 seconds. That's how to get the most of it in the right part of you. But interestingly, I went to the pharmacy and told them this because the pulmonologist told me like, yeah, this is ridiculous. The pharmacy should have given you this when they filled the prescription. The pharmacy then said, there's no evidence that you need that thing and it was going to cost more money so we don't give them to anyone. And so it was like, I was like stuck Mm. in between 
like in the U.S. at least, that seems to be the case where I'm guessing there is research that says the spacer is ideal and the pharmacists think like, oh, it's fine, fine without it for whatever reason. Or the pharmacist I got mm-hmm. was very defensive about it. I was like, well, I, I don't know. I went and talked to a pulmonologist. This is what they said. I'm pretty sure what's right. I don't think that person is ill-informed, right? This is all that they do. And they were like, no, you were fine. You didn't need it. Okay. So I can't actually anecdotally confirm that using the spacer for me was way better. So, but it's kind of like they're... That's why I picked this article. (laughs) But it's kind of like they're in some ways, like they're getting, they're getting stuck on a technicality because I don't think that every medical provider thinks that this is important. Because I told my doctor about this whole thing and he was kind of like, okay. But the pulmonologist was like very annoyed. So... It's also like, what are the odds that a kid's going to carry? I mean, the little tube's like four inches long and like the size of a silver dollar, like in diameter, maybe a little bigger. So they're kind of bulky, whereas like an inhaler, like you can run with it in your hand. So I feel like mm-hmm. I feel like it, maybe it's a little misleading to say the kids are using it, quote, wrong. They're just not using this accessory with it. Like, that's the story. But yes, very interesting Yeah. So I had bronchitis repeatedly and I got an inhaler and I never figured out how to use the inhaler ever. I have no idea how to use an inhaler. I (laughs) did you feel like every time I've used it, it, they, no, I didn't. They just gave it to me and I just left. I didn't think, I didn't think because like I thought I've seen a million people use it on television. Of course Mm. I know how to use it. Like, you know, like. (laughs) When I first picked mine Um, up, I I had the pharmacist show me, but apparently he showed me the wrong thing. So there's that too. Yeah. So there's that. How about that? So yeah. (laughs) I feel like the spacer is newer or like maybe they just newly understand that people need it. I don't know. Because also the manufacturer's instructions did, did not have this, had like a third thing that no one had told me that also apparently was not ideal. So it's like, mm. maybe maybe the news story here is that there's not good information about inhalers. They need to increase their explanation when they assign new medicines. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So at this point, the next time I get an inhaler, I'll guess I'll ask them how to do it. But like, it's been explained to me. I just don't yeah. know how to, I just don't know what I'm doing. And so I just feel like I just, eat all of whatever came out of the mm-hmm. inhaler and I don't like it. So, so, so I don't, I don't ever use it. So yeah, I mean, you're, so yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. It's, it's user error. It's definitely, it's definitely a problem. <laughs> okay. What's our last story? Yeah. So our last story comes from NBC news and it's from cancer cures to unproven therapies. Oncologists compete with Dr. Google. Oh God, so, true. so this is a, an opinion piece uh, kind of put out by an oncologist who's talking about how they now are competing with um, Google and the internet with uh, unproven uh, therapies and different cures, quote unquote, for cancer. Um, So it gives an antidote of a person who, Miss B, was in her 30s and was diagnosed with early stage breast cancer. Um, It had some aggressive uh, features to it, um, but it seemed totally manageable. uh, with surgery and chemo and radiation. However, the patient decided that um, she voiced some suspicion about its um, efficacy and um, uh, didn't seem to trust the doctor. Um, and so she instead decided that she was going to um, do these alternative uh, 
medicined forms instead. And unfortunately she passed away because it became, by the time that she came back again, um, the cancer had spread to multiple organs um, and she passed away due to complications. Um, So there's this huge misinformation about uh, information about cancer and those types of things that are, is available on the internet. And then, and it's given the same weight as like doctors who spend, you know, years in school and it's looking at the alternative medicines and how they compare to um, the requirements. So it's just talking about that um, different things. And so they cited that Jerusalem and, post article that we talked about that's cited in this story. Mm-hmm. Is that why? You, yep. That's amazing. So talking about like, yeah. So the Jerusalem post said that they would have a cure for cancer within a year. It was like the headline as you, as our uh, vast of your listenership may recall. Um, but like calling it that in a site in this is kind of unfair because the, they haven't even done human testing and it's just in mice and there's huge differences between mice and humans and like different types of cancers and all those different types of things. So the idea that you could possibly just wait a year and then there'll be a cure for cancer. So then you don't have to go through all this like ravaging things of, uh, with cancer, like makes, might incur, yeah, might make people, you know, opt out or to, to wait when they have, a disease that could be cured or taken care of or um, eradicated through conventional means at this point in time, but they decide that they might wait. So those kinds of things. So Dr. Google, essentially yeah. what we are. Well, it's tough. <laughs> and actually, that is, I would say, one of my health fascinations for this week was trying to debunk Joseph Merkola, um, who is a internet quack physician who has like a wellness website, Merkula.com, which now I'm driving traffic to. Awesome. And he'll kind of start off with something that seems legitimate, like artificial sweeteners aren't good for you, like research supports that. But then he'll go into like recommending weird supplements. So he's been fined like $5 million for recommending supplements that he sells for like unproven medical uses. And he has like questioned whether HIV really causes... AIDS. He has claimed that like microwaving food alters its chemistry. He has stated that homogenized milk has no nutritional value. Uh, He thinks that cancer risks arise from mobile phone radiation, which is unproven. He thinks sunscreen increases the skin cancer risk. So, I mean, you could have objections to sunscreen, but it certainly doesn't raise your skin cancer risk. Like, even if it was going to raise your cancer risk, it'd probably raise it to something else. Like, it doesn't even make sense. So, but just, like, putting that information out there with someone that I know got me, like, the response of, well, he, like, cites sources when he talks about things. So he may not be the best source, but he's, like, an okay source. And the truth is, like, that this person is probably one of the worst sources, right? It would be hard hard to find a less reliable source. And so mm-hmm. I was just thinking... You know, going back to this article that you chose, it's really become hard for people to discern what's a good source and what's not. And even people that I know who work in jobs that require really high level thinking skills were posting that Jerusalem Post cancer cure story and... And they're not super, like, I I usually don't argue with people at all on social media, but, you know, 
I, I don't think they even understand what it means that it was a, a mouse trial, or they don't have enough context to understand, as this piece points out, that 97% of cancer drugs fail when tested in human beings. Like, that's a line from the piece. So I don't know. It's like, right. I don't know how we get through to people. I You know, it's like no one has the time, you know, case in point. Like, right. like that when we were on the phone earlier and that person came to my door and I was just like, I'm so sorry. Like I'm on the phone. I don't have time. Like, and it's like, I don't even have time to evaluate whatever it was. He was going to try to sell me like whatever cause, you know? And that's like so stressful sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's like, I don't even have time to like look into this nonprofit to see if it'd be worthwhile or to see if it fits into my values or like whatever. And, and like the outcome is literally now things like kids contracting measles. And it's, I feel like it's just a matter of time before a kid dies from the measles in our country. Like, I don't want to be the person right. that, like, predicts that, but, like, it's starting to feel inevitable, and I just, yeah, it's not it's not all that funny to me, you know? Right. Yeah. There are real consequences to Dr. Google right. and trying to sift through all of this news and all of the information that's available and it's all presented equally can be very daunting and very challenging. Yep. So. Hopefully, we are helping to disseminate some news that is yeah. uh, fun and good to know. So, yeah. hopefully, we're not adding to the chaos. Well, no, I feel like <laughs> if you listen to our podcast, like, hopefully, you would start to know, like, we, we've we only given a few tips, right? Like, small sample size, causation does not equal correlation, like, things like that. I mean, we're not experts at all, but even just by looking at four stories a week, I think we've started to get a little better at figuring some of this stuff out, so... Hopefully that's helpful. Absolutely. Did you have a current event you wanted to share with the uninformed masses, Laura? Um, so with the current like kind of um, situation happening in Israel and Palestine with the constant um, repeat of Hamas attacks, Israel, Israel responds with um, uh, air air raids um, and um, people being killed uh, on both sides. It's just kind of an untenable situation for a lot of people. And Egypt has recently like opened up its borders and allowed people from Palestine to leave. And so there's kind of a mass exodus of people leaving, um, not just uh, the young people, but also people who have skills, including like doctors. So the hospitals in Palestine are having to close different uh, units and different things like because they don't have a cardiovascular doctor anymore because the cardio doctor left um, and, you know, tried to find a piece somewhere else. So I think that's uh, a humanitarian crisis that's slowly building where there's more of a brain drain out of that area. And because of the controls that are happening um, from Israel and Egypt and all, um, and like the Palestinian Authority not being able to control Hamas and they're fighting each other. It's just kind of um, creating a, for the civilian population of Palestine, just even harder and harsher uh, world for them to continue to live in. So that's mine. Super upbeat. <laughs> it's been a great week, folks. Thanks for that, Laura. <laughs> that's about enough bad patienting for us for one week. You can connect with us online wherever you get your media or at thebadpatient.com and you can send us your story ideas or I don't know maybe something uplifting to hello at thebadpatient.com until next time we are a bad patient